that we do every week. The rabbis say that whoever's leading the liturgy especially should always have it with him and not recite it from memory to make sure that it's done correctly so that nothing's missed. And I related that to, uh, to Batya as it went like this. Oftentimes when somebody re- tries to repeat scripture, and I've heard it many times from, I won't name pastors or rabbis, but they misquote it because they're so used to saying it wrong that they say it wrong. And if they had it right in front of them, reading it instead of going from memory, they would get it right every time. So I, I, I found some value in that. And that's why I say that to say I always have the liturgy up here with me um, to make sure I'm not making any mistakes. We always have the liturgy up on the screen so that you don't make any mistakes. But if you do, at least I don't. Or if I do, at least you don't. So somebody's always doing it right because they're following along. Another thing that does is it tends to not make it appear and feel so rote. Because if you try to do it from memory, it's just you, you kind of just start doing this recitation. You know, bless you, Lord our God, King of the universe. It doesn't mean anything to you. But if you're actually reading the words, there's more meaning to it. Anyway, that was a free part. No extra charge. You know, former President Calvin Coolidge was known to people as a man of few words. Matter of fact, a woman one time made a bet with her friend that she could get him to speak to her. So that was something that he was very reluctant to do, is speak to people. So she went up to him and said, Hello, Mr. President. I bet my friend that I could get you to say three words to me. The president said, you lose, and walked away. There was another time when he came home from church, and his wife asked him, what did the minister speak about? He said, sin. And she asked him, well, what did he say? He said, he was against it. Sometimes you don't have to have long, drawn-out prayers and sentences and words to express what you're trying to say. Today's parasha includes the shortest prayer recorded in Scripture. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 13, Moses prayed on behalf of Miriam, his sister. He prayed, Elnah Rafa Nala. God, please heal her, please. Five short Hebrew words. It only con- they only contain 11 letters altogether. But it was a very powerful prayer. As I said, long, drawn out, long winded prayers sometimes aren't necessary. Matter of fact, they're not oftentimes as powerful as a very short and to the point prayer. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. 
Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of Messiah's community and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So confess your offenses one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. Effective means producing a result that is wanted. Moses, somewhat like President Coolidge, understood that sometimes just a few words could be more powerful than an entire speech. So when we pray, Lord, heal my loved one from their illness, like Moses did, And that's the same thing that we do at home when with our friends and family, when someone is sick, when someone needs prayer. We pray those prayers of of healing. Even here, almost every Shabbat, that's why the elders are in the back, praying for the infirm, praying for the sick, praying for those in need. Are we expecting God to really hear us? That's very important. Or do we even care? Or he even, does he even care about us? Or will he even act upon our prayers at all? Or do we, do we think we're just talking to each other or to ourselves? What are we doing when we pray? Remember when the Israelites seemed like they were trapped between the sea and the Egyptians? They didn't know which way to go. There's the water over here, and there's the cavalry coming after them. Well, Exodus 14, 15 through 18 says that Adonai said to Moses, Why are you crying to me? Tell B'nai Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. Then B'nai Israel will go into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Then I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will go in after them, so that I will be glorified over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am Adonai when I have been glorified over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. You see, that wasn't a time to pray. That's what God's saying. Don't cry out to me. You're supposed to do something. You're supposed to move forward. And then I will be there. I got your back. We may have considered that a time when we need to drop down to our knees and start calling out to God for help. They probably had that same feeling. God was just saying, just do it. Just go. Will Rogers once said, Even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. It's all about doing something, not just crying out every time. Now, back to our parasha, when Miriam was struck with Sarah'at, with leprosy, Moses came to her defense. He prayed, 
Now, even though this isn't recorded in Scripture, it's assumed that Moses came alongside Miriam to provide comfort and support. Because of that assumption, Rashi said this, the people would have accused Moses, saying his sister is in a terrible state, and all he does is pray. I don't know about you, but I think Rashi was talking about me at times. When I would pray for someone, and sometimes even they didn't think I was doing enough, that prayer was not enough. Oswald Chambers said, Prayer does not equip you for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. When a prayer is coming from your heart, when the prayer is sincere, and you're speaking on behalf of the person you're praying for or with, it becomes powerful in itself. Sometimes I know it's, it, it becomes a bit disappointing when we turn to God through prayer and we end up feeling sometimes like he didn't even hear us. And when we don't get an immediate answer to the prayer, we really feel like God didn't hear us. Sometimes we try to communicate with God the same way we communicate with other people. As if God is a voice on the other side on a helpline Someone that's there to help us to solve our problems. But he's not a support tech. And he's definitely not an offshore connection. He's right here. He is immediately hearing each and everything that we say to him. We just don't feel it sometimes. But we don't have to feel it for it to be true. Think about this. Maybe he doesn't have an answer. Or maybe he has an answer that we don't want to hear. Or that we didn't expect to hear. It wasn't what we were looking for, but it was an answer to our prayer. See, maybe what we're praying for is not the right thing for us or the best thing for us. Sometimes God answers our prayers in a way that we don't quite understand sometimes. I know that's happened to me. I don't understand why it was that way, but I did ask, and he did answer. I waited for what I wanted to happen and didn't happen, but there was an answer. Maybe he doesn't answer because we never actually sought him with a sincere heart. Or maybe he didn't answer because it wasn't time. And maybe we'll never get an answer to our prayer. He's a sovereign God. He doesn't jump through hoops just because we call him and ask him for something. He knows what's best. Sometimes we think we know what's best for ourselves, but really, we don't. Now remember something important here in our parasha. The entire community had to wait seven days 
until Miriam was healed before they could rejoin, she could rejoin them and they could move on. They were stuck there because of her. So she wasn't the only one being punished, so to speak. The community was punished along with her in that they had to sit there waiting for her. So there's a midrash that actually sums up the expectation of answered prayer. It goes like this. There are prayers that are answered after 100 years. There are prayers that are answered after 90 years. And there are prayers that are answered after seven days. Well, this one here, we see and we can read that this one was answered in seven days. I don't want to wait 100 years. I don't want to wait 90 years. I don't even wait what, 77 days. But he always answers in his own timing and with the right thing. I've asked for things, and many of you may have asked for things, that not realizing what you asked for included a lot of testing and trying. Patience, for one. If you pray for patience, and Batya and I found this out the hard way, the trials will come to test that patience, to try you, and to build up your patience. Did we think that through before we prayed? No. I read this story about a a man who had written this article. And he sent it out to several newspapers and magazines, but none of them accepted it. So one day he prayed to God to have his article published and became frustrated when his prayers were not answered. He even sat down with his friend and was just venting his frustrations, who asked if he could see the article. After reading it thoughtfully, the friend suggested that the article may have been too intellectual for the average reader. And perhaps the ideas in the article would be better treated as a full-length book. So the writer took the suggestion, expanded the article into a book, and the book manuscript was accepted by the very first publisher who read it. That wasn't his original prayer. He just wanted published. But then it was published after he did what needed to be done. Did God answer his prayer? Some would say no. Others would say yes. Because after the advice of his friend, it was published. That's what he prayed for, that it would be published. It just needed a little tweaking, a little fine-tuning. We just read in James, the effective prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. Rabbi Bernard Gershon wrote a couple years ago, actually, that Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook teaches that the expression to pray to God is uncommon in the Hebrew Bible. Often the Torah just says, so-and-so prayed. It's understood that the prayer is directed to God, but there's an additional reason why the phrase to pray to God is abnormal. He goes on to say that the Hebrew verb lehit palel, which means to pray, is in the reflective tense. This emphasizes the aspect of prayer's spiritual and emotional impact on the soul. The state of contemplation brings out an outpouring of directed emotion. 
beyond the soul's normal range. He says it's, it is fitting to talk about prayer before God. This means that one directed his heart and mind to contemplate God through prayer. But he says it's not realistic to refer to praying to God or up to God. The clarity of enlightenment, he says, of, from intellectual study and reflection is be, far beyond the inspiration reached through prayer. Praying up to God would indicate that one used his mind to attain awareness of his creator and somehow achieved emotional uplifting of the soul at this level. As he explained in his commentary, the infinitive form of the Hebrew word we translate to pray is lehit palel, a reflexive conjugation of the root, which literally means to examine or to judge. The reflexive tense means the action of the verb returns to the subject. Therefore, lehit palel, translated most literally, would mean to judge oneself. He says, this deep understanding of the word gives us an extraordinary insight into the Jewish conceptualization of prayer. Framed this way, prayer is less than a linear communication with God and more an effort to better understand one's self using God as a prism of sorts, he says. And as Cook extrapolates, to better understand ourselves through God we must direct our hearts and minds to contemplate God through prayer. Rabbi Cook goes on to argue that realistically, we should not talk about praying to God, since this implies a looking outward. Rather, we should more accurately talk about praying before God, describing prayer as an act of supplication that we undertake in consideration of God. This resonates with the Midrashim, rabbinic homilies, which talk about the difference between Abraham, who walked before God, and Noah, who walked behind God. Cook concludes by returning to the verse and description of Moses praying to God. Following a teaching from the Mishnah, Cook notes that the verse is best translated as Moses prayed against God suggesting that Moses defied the conventions of prayer. As a spiritually outstanding individual who sought to reconcile the people he led with, with the God he served, Moses approached God directly on behalf of the people. He concludes it by saying, this is why it states Moses prayed to God. This is not the common prayer of the individual presenting him or herself before God. Rather, it is an exceptional prayer presented by an exceptional individual, the only one who could approach God directly, face to face. See, there's certain things that we pray for or we pray about that just aren't in our best interest. When I first learned what Lahit Palel truly meant, it changed my mindset on prayer. To judge oneself in God's presence can not only change the way someone prays, but also the things someone prays for. 
This understanding of prayer can produce dramatic results because now we're praying in God's will. We're praying the way he wants us to pray. We're communicating with him the way he wants to talk to us. He wants us to do the same with him. You might even realize with that understanding that prayers will be answered more often than before. So if you really stop and think about what does God want for me, before you say, God, I want this, then maybe the prayer would be, God, show me what's best for me, what you want from me, as opposed to, I want this, I want that, I need this, I need that. Yes, healing of the sick is something that we're supposed to pray for. There's actually a traditional prayer known as the Mishabarach. I don't know if anybody is familiar with it. We actually do a portion of it here each and every week. During the Middle Ages, the Mishabarach prayer was instituted to bless those when they're called up as an aliyah. Those that read the Torah. For the great Torah scholars and for the sick. It's a prayer that includes a promise of tzedakah, which is usually translated charity, but literally means justice or righteousness. It's traditionally prayed during the Torah service because of the belief that there's really no greater time to pray and to strengthen us in our prayers than during the study and recitation of the Torah. Like I said, we do a variation of it when we call up the reader to pray. The Mishabarach, similar to the Kaddish, is used for different things at different times during the service. That's why I say we do a variation. We don't pray for the sick at that point. If there were sick in the household of the reader, we could include that. But the portion that we use is bless him who has come up to honor God in the Torah. May the Holy One bless him and his family and send blessing and prosperity on all the work of his hands. That's the Mishabarach. That's what was established to recite upon reader from the Torah. So just like Moses' prayer being the shortest one in our scriptures... This is a short message as well. Because I'm almost done. At the conclusion of our Yom Kippur service back in September, I shared this story from the Talmud. Rabbi Joshua ben Levi asked Elijah, Where's the Messiah? Elisha pointed, Over there. The Messiah is sitting there among those poor lepers. Look what he's doing. He's treating each person's sores, retying their bandages, and comforting them all, but each of them, one person at a time. So I'll close with what I said then. That's something all of us can do. None of us is able to accomplish tikkun olam, fixing the world, on our own. But all of us can practice tikkun hanefesh, healing of a single soul, 
caring for one person at a time at the very moment of their need. That's the important thing. That's what prayer is about. It's addressing the need right now, right here. That's why we're back there every week. That's why we ask people if they need prayer. Something's going on, we pray for that particular need. And that's all. And that's all we're required to do. That's all we're asked to do. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to pray for one another. Now, final word is this. Not too keen on what James said about the confessing of your sins one to another because that could get really ugly and dirty. However, we are supposed to do that too. And accept your sins are forgiven, confessed and forgiven, then the other prayers are going to be of no effect. We all have to be right before God. The person praying, the person receiving prayer needs to be right before God, before he's going to hear. Things have to be in the right order. Cleansing first, then petitions. And again, if it's not the time to hear the answer, you're not going to hear an answer. I just wish, and actually I have heard it on rare occasions, but I wish it would happen all the time so that I would at least know, so I wouldn't be in that situation where I feel like, God, are you hearing me? Maybe he could say, I hear you, but not now. At least I would know that my prayer was heard and it's being considered. And maybe at a time that I don't expect, he'll answer. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we do thank you and bless you. Because we know that if we stand right before you, we know that you hear us when we pray. What we ask you now is to direct our hearts to pray to you correctly. To seek you as to how we should approach you in prayer. That we will know that our prayers are being heard. And be able to accept, Lord, when you do say, not now. Not yet. Lord, we thank you for this Shabbat day. As we've said many times before, we thank you that we have the ability in this country to stand and pray before you openly, to stand and worship before you openly, that we don't have any restrictions on our worship or our reverence of you, that our services, Lord God, can go on because we live in a free country. We pray for those that don't have that ability. We pray that you would... Make a, do make a special move that they would be able to do, have the freedom to worship that we have here. But we're so thankful that we have those freedoms, Lord. And we're grateful to you. You are great and greatly to be praised. And we thank you in Yeshua's name. Caroline.